Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Would I believe you? I would actually believe you. I, I find that so hard to believe. Really? <laughs> I can't believe now that I came with you to the Natural History Museum last night. You could have not even been there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never responding to your text again. Pam, I know there might be a terrorist incident happening, happening in Oxford Circus, but come, there's a, there's a blue whale and I, it looks I, really cool. I know. <laughs> I was like, dude, dude, this guy's crazy. Like, shit's going down in Oxford Circus. He's like, let's go to Natural History Museum. <laughs> but the point is, there was nothing going down. But nothing was happening. Yeah, it was just and mass. That's, that's okay. the deeper story. So it's mass panic, mass hysteria. Hello and welcome to Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet, the only podcast that uses cutting-edge science to answer the questions that you actually have. Things like, why is the sky blue, what's up with trees, and are robots really taking over? On my left, as always, I have Oz Ismail. Oz is a PhD student, grinder aficionado, and one state of the meth head. Is that true? Actually, I have some news. What? I deleted my grinder, so I'm no longer an aficionado. Why did you delete your grinder? Uh. <laughs> Too many dick pics. <laughs> well, moving swiftly on. On my right, as always, I have Sahel Patel. Sahel is a journalist. He makes amazing videos for the BBC, and he's just released an amazing film, isn't that right? I made something for the internet. And do they like it? Is it on my plan? It's there. It exists. Okay. Please so, watch it. And most importantly, he knows nothing about science. Isn't that true? I'm here to learn the did. He's here to learn the hern the did. I don't even know what that is, but maybe we should teach you how to speak first. Glass houses, stones. Yes. Oh, whatever. Whatever, Alex. <laughs> Coming from you. Uh, excuse me. Perfect received pronunciation over here. Yeah, but I have the excuse of not being from here. I can just switch between I'm not from here and fuck off. I'm from Leytonstone. As always, guys, we're going to start with the news. So what's been happening this week? Okay, so I read this news story that instantly grabbed me because it was about coffee. And I really, really, really love coffee. And it said that basically, if you drink coffee, there is a lower risk of liver disease, some cancers and dying from stroke. But this is a news story that just keeps coming up over and over again. So I decided to 
delve deeper into the research. Coffee is gross. I like hot chocolate. I mean, <laughs> I'm all about hot chocolate, but coffee, there's something about coffee that just... Why do people drink coffee? I don't know. It's horrible. Because for some people, it's actually, it, it has an effect. Like mm. caffeine does actually keep them alert. For me, it has absolutely no effect. Doesn't work for me. It makes my bones vibrate. <laughs> but but the thing is, I mean, that's the, that's a positive effect of coffee. But for me, like I've been drinking coffee for so long that it doesn't actually have that kind of biological effect on me. So you're addicted. I, well, I don't know if I'd say that. Mm. Addiction is a strong word. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, you drink... All right, so when I'm getting ready for work in the morning, um, I drink a cup and then I have another one either on the way to work or when I get to my desk. Then I have another one sort of mid-morning and then I have another one around 3.30 in the afternoon. And if I'm working late, I'll have another one like around six. So how many is that? About five a day. Yeah, I do have five by five a day. No one said it had to be fiver. <laughs> Maybe they did, actually. So five coffees a day and you do that all working week? Yeah, Monday to Friday. And so it's 25 Monday to Friday. What about weekends? Weekends, probably actually less because for me, coffee, like coffee doesn't actually have an effect. I, 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 don't, I don't ask for the reasoning. I want numbers. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I'll have like two in the morning. And that's probably about it at the weekends. So four on the weekend. So 29. Like let's call it 30. I'm more of a tea kind of person. So let's call it 30 a week. Okay. You're on th- 30 a week. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my God. What's funny. 30 times 52? That is 1,560. Shit. <laughs> that's, that's a lot a of coffee. 1,000. But they have found that coffee is good for you again. Well, I hate coffee, so. But the, the thing is, all right, if you actually look at the science behind this, mm. all the all this actual scientists have said is coffee is not bad for you. Okay, it's not bad. It doesn't say good. Yeah, it just says, says they just basically looked at correlations between coffee drinkers and these different health conditions. And they said, although there was like an association between like basically the people who drank coffee had lower risk of things like cardiovascular disease, cancer and liver disease, the authors explicitly state that it is not, there is no direct effect that co- drinking coffee is actually doing this. Mm. They're basically all they're saying is coffee drinking is safe and it's not going to badly affect your health according to what this research has done. Mm. But how it was reported was that coffee is great for you and you will not get liver disease if you drink coffee. So it's just mistranslated, isn't it? It's, no, it's not mistranslation. It's, it's sensationalized. Like, it, it's sensationalism. Anyway, like say how you're a journalist. Yes. So when it comes mm. to reporting articles, mm. how... How do, you, how do you take information and make it into something consumable that people will enjoy? It depends on what, what obviously, what your outlet is. If you're <clears throat> more serious establishment, aka BBC, uh, then you would, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it depends, isn't it? It depends if you're a magazine, if you're a newspaper, if you're factual, if you're like, if you're like Reuters compared to like, you know, like the Daily Mail, for example, you have a very different style of reporting. Yeah. But I feel like, for instance, this coffee story, it's like complete clickbait, isn't it? Because mm. I clicked on it because I'm like, oh, coffee, good. So I'm going to click on it. I'm going to read it. And I then wanted to go and find out what the actual research was. But not mm. everyone's going to do that. So mm. it's important to, to for this stuff to be reported correctly. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you got to look at a lot of online magazines and websites, their businesses that have to generate income through ad revenues. And, and a lot of that, if they see this kind of story, they think, oh, you know, our audience drinks coffee. Oh, they'll, they'll click this and read it. And even though they use a clickbait headline, they might have that caveat explained within the article generally. Mm. And for them, that's justification of the clickbait. But 
for for example, mm. right? Like if you read when you read the article, like so, um, it tells you about actually the like the good stuff coffee has. So there is, it's it's not like coffee needs something to get a good rep. Mm. For example, in this article, it tells you about how roasted coffee is complex mixture of over thousand bioactive compounds. Like stuff like that is interesting. Why do they have to go for coffee is going to make you healthy? Like you know because I mean? it makes you click on it. If I see a headline that says coffee contains over a thousand bioactive uh, compounds, so is it bioactive? <laughs> Bioactivity aside, coffee is not bad for us, but still. It's an example, I guess, of a, a clickbaity headline, mm. which mm. I guess incorporates some science. Yeah. I mean, have we seen a lot of that this week? Yeah, I saw another article mm. that was, uh, I thought, this is not, this is trying to be science, but not. Um, how people, not people, the government was saying that animals don't feel pain. And I was like, what the fuck? This, is, this goes against everything that I know about. Yeah, I saw that as well, but... I realized sort of quickly that it might not be the real story mm. until when you saying that it wasn't at all. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, they in the House of Commons they were debating around EU legislation. What they did was that they were debating this particular EU law around the definition of animal sentience, um, and they they didn't choose to incorporate that into to our British law. So hang on. Mm. So my I have a very naive question. Mm. Why? Are they debating something that probably should have scientific evidence behind it? Why is that a debate for like MPs? I don't get it. Like, I, I'm, this is very naive, I know. But why are they debating something that has scientific evidence? So we know that animals, a lot of animals feel pain. I guess we'd have to define there what an animal is. I'm not going to do that right now. Yeah. Because I can't be funks. <laughs> oh but, but we all know that animals feel pain. Cows, pigs dogs cats are you going to name all the animals <laughs> maybe well this is only a proposed amendment to the eu withdrawal bill um so is it to do with brexit yeah it's to do with brexit so it's 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 you know obviously it's going to be controversial by its very nature so um the the claim is that this withdraw this proposed amendment to the withdrawal bill had claimed that the conservatives had voted to deny animals feel pain or emotions um and you know uh, you know i'm obviously i'm a bbc journalist i'm completely impartial um but uh i think is there a case to be made that's the case well from what i've read apparently there's a lot of um a law already that exists in in um uk law and the the way british law is is it's where it's, it's based on precedent so we have like different laws that come in and they over it's like really convoluted and complex but there's a series of laws that already enshrine animal sentience and for domestic animals and farm animals in british law so you know whether that was a political scoring points kind of thing um possibly whether it's based somewhat in truth i don't know maybe but I guess the way it was reported, the way I looked at it, I went, yeah. oh, great. They just want to justify killing loads of foxes. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. But I think, you know, it's like anyone with any ounce of intelligence will have some skepticism. I'm sorry. Ex like, what, what, rewind. Wait, I didn't mean that in a Re Rewind. <laughs> but as in... I mean, I may look innocent as hell, but... You challenge Ozzy, my intelligence. you are very smart, man. You're far smarter than <laughs> far smarter than I am. To be honest, I'm just I'm just getting defensive because he's found me out. <laughs> he will mess you up, Sahel. Listen, he will mess man. you up. 
fake news stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, okay, we're joking about it, but is, is this an example of fake news or is it news that's just being misreported no. or using certain language that implies certain things? I think, you know, it's, getting back to this issue, it's obviously it's more politics than science, I would say. I'd say, you know, whether the issue, do animals have sentience or not? Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. They obviously do. Um, was it, a, you know, slightly misleading reporting? Yeah, to a degree. And was it really scientific? No, again, it's polit political more than anything. Okay. So but you could say that, uh, okay, so basically, if I understood this correctly, it is yeah. part of our, uh, us withdrawing from the EU. Yeah. And letting go of EU laws yeah. and putting our own laws in place instead. So what you're saying is we already have laws in place to protect animals? I've got an analogy for it. It's like having condoms. You don't want to wear two condoms. You only want one condom. Yeah. yeah. I love none. how you looked at me when you were speaking about <laughs> that because you thought you were speaking my language. I did tell you I deleted Grindr for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's, yeah, you don't want... I mean, you, you, you don't have to have two laws because the two laws might come into clash if they're written slightly differently. Okay. So you don't want one law that talks about animal sentience so it's not like they're removing animal sentience it's that they're not taking the eu animal sentience law because we already have one okay so then that makes me want to know what's if, in our yeah EU. what's our, is our law enough to protect animals mm. in a similar way that they have been protected previously mm. or ideally better i don't know well you know <laughs> I think, you know, it comes down to an issue of, all right, there's a debate around animal sentience. If you actually look at the way we treat animals, regardless of whether it's in the UK or the EU, it's quite bad in a lot of ways. You know, we, we produce like a lot of inhumane ways of producing animal, treat, treating animals in the production of meat. Like look at venison or you look at like foie gras, you look at like, you know, all these different types of food that we consume. And if you're going to debate around the morality of consuming meat, well, let me tell you, bro, it's all fucked up. So, you know... If it is all fucked up. Yeah. I believe that's the... Yeah, I'm saying that as someone who eats meat, you know, I think, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, vegetarianism and veganism and stuff, or more ethical ways of producing, eating meat or getting protein. Are you Maybe. just feeling guilty because you eat pork and that's haram? <laughs> bro, it's kosher. It's been blessed. blessed. Oh, it's been it? blessed. I, I, bro, Rabbi Steve's. <laughs> you know, out of the three of us, I'm the least Muslim here. <laughs> All right. So this is between the two of you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure pork is haram. I would agree. First of all, it's not haram, it's haram. Alex found that very funny. You know, you need to come, it needs to come from the throat. It's got to come from the haram. Absolutely haram. <laughs> absolutely haram. To be honest, I think generally, even in the EU, the, the laws around treating animals need to be improved. So even if we did take in the EU law, that still needs... Why does it need to be improved? How to make foie gras, for example, they stuff uh, ducks with like fat and food till like, its liver becomes like all huge and... and fatty. Fatty and then yeah. people eat it as a delicacy and thinking that the amount of animal suffering that was involved in that. They like say if like, you can't debate like animal sentience, use it as a political point. If you if you stand for that cause, fair enough. If you're like the Greenpeace or NSP or whatever it is, these charities. So I guess fair enough. I, I guess then what needed to happen is either it needed to be reported with this is the law that exists in the UK, but and this is why we're withdrawing from it. But I I suppose 
did they, I mean, I read this news article on social media. Like that was again clickbait. I saw people being angry about it on Twitter, and that's how like I became angry about it as well by reading about it. So speaking to a journalist like you, Sahel, yes, you'd tell me the facts behind the story, and now I feel less angry about it. So that um, then that then tells me it's it's a matter of how news then gets propagated in the modern world yeah. through social media. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, I think when you hear the full story, I think it's a lot it's a lot more complex than it always seems on the face of it. And I think whenever you consume news, you need to have an understanding of context, otherwise you can get caught away. In misinformation. We're talking about social media, I guess nothing really stands out more than yesterday. So people who are listening to this at some point in the future, today is the day after the Oxford Street incident. I wonder oh what it's going to be called. I survived. I mean, that, like, <laughs> I mean, no, that, that honestly, that was really, really weird. I just finished up in Tusing and I was coming up to Embankment and I got stopped, like the tube sort of stopped for a bit. And then people were kind of getting messages on their phone and stuff saying there's been a shooting at Ox's Circus. Mm. And then it all kind of went crazy from there. Yeah. I was busy eating cake with one of our guests from the podcast, Anna Pajajski. Really? Well, if I was going to die, it would be the best way to die would be eating cake. I mean, I said to my friend, like, I had no idea this was going on because I was busy eating cake and the world could have been ending. And coffee. Were you around the Oxford Circus? Well, I was just off Tottenham Court Road, so not far. Yeah, yeah I was like, if you're gonna if you're gonna die in a terrorist attack, eating cake and drinking coffee. And, I and... was drinking coffee. I was in my happy place, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so wait, so I was near Embankment. You were on Tottenham Court Road. What about you, Sahel? I was in the London newsroom in the heat of this breaking story. <laughs> and so, uh, what happened to the people at the BBC? Well, we shit ourselves naturally. Because <laughs> like, we got to actually do some work. Oh no! What? Wait, Damn. I thought the BBC worked all the time. Yeah, yeah. Disclaimer: we we do work sometimes. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, seriously, we work. So this this is my first time covering an event like this uh, in a newsroom, and it was it was really like nerve wracking because you know we heard there's this event you know it was on the news channel main network channel and you know it's our job to figure out exactly what's happening and you know there's a lot of criticism of the media in this there were certain outlets that that, that did report rumor um and you know kind of exacerbated the situation i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, but I was going to say the time scale of it, because Mm. it happened at 4.43. It was about five o'clock when I was on embankment and the tube Mm. sort of stopped for a minute or so. Mm. Yeah, basically, so the timing was the worst timing, like Black Friday. Everyone was knee deep in, you know, tourists around the area, like people doing a lot of shopping. And then, you know, this, it, it, was, a, it was a kind of a volatile situation. Um, and it was that tinderbox situation, they say, isn't it? And uh, what apparently actually happened was, you know, one, there was a fight on a platform. Uh, and is it a case of Chinese whispers where, you know, it kind of ripple effect so it gained momentum so as people as the people that are closest were a little bit worried the people next to them got a little bit more agitated and then by the time it got outside the station people were like running um in a case of mass hysteria basically like but i i suppose like we are in london we are mm. always on like high alert given the current situation yeah yeah uh, you can't so i can't blame people for being like panicking because everyone you get on the tube it's a packed tube especially at rush hour it does make you anxious getting on such a packed tube, mm. knowing how on edge we always are in London, right? Mm. Am I, is it fair to say that? I wouldn't say um, I'm never really nervous because, like, what are people going to do? But like the last guy, remember the last guy who tried to do something like a real terrorist event where he what he brought an IKEA bag for life and filled it with semi-explosive material mm. and left it there, and it sort of just started smouldering. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The last oh, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that, that is was very four yeah. lions esque. Yeah, that's the level we're at. We're at four lions. Yeah, I see. You mean it's a case of like, what's the risk and and how is, is people's represent like reaction to proportional? Mm. So what's the risk of dying in a terrorist attack compared to how people react to a supposed attack? Exactly, you know? and I think in this case, you know, what led to a lot of the mass panic was social media. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you look at, like, I think the problem is the delay between something happening and it being reported correctly. For example, the London Bridge terror attacks, I think the whole, if I'm correct, if I remember this correctly, the whole event the, from start of the attack to the police bringing them down was eight to ten minutes. very quick. And things like that actually make me feel safe, knowing that that's how quickly they can respond. But also, it was about an hour, I think, because I was watching the news all night and I lived near, I used to live near London Bridge at the time. I could hear the helicopters. I knew something was going down. Um, but it was the news only reported an hour later when they said, yes, it's actually a terror attack and some stuff has happened. We just can't tell you what, but it's a terror attack. Stay safe. And I think it's a similar thing here. Like, you know, something happened in Oxford Circus. But nobody was reporting what happened. And obviously the police can only tell you facts. So you can follow the police Twitter and it doesn't have anything there. So then you look to social media to see if anyone's in the area, what what people are saying. Because people are hungry for that information. People want to know what's happening. People want to know that people are safe. And just people are curious as well as to what is going down in the area. Mm. So in a way that vacuum of information led to more people 
looking for sources of what was going on. Yeah, yeah, and then so like I might see something on my Twitter that says, "Oh my God, I heard gunshots." That I might then you know tweet that to somebody else because I want to make sure people are safe. Like my friends were telling me, like that who are in the area saying, Please, "Like if you're in the area, st- stay away or get away from the area because something is happening." Because that's just information that's useful to 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 stay safe if something was happening. But then as a result of that, because the news weren't reporting because they couldn't, they didn't have the information. It causes mass hysteria. You, you got various people, mm. you know, who are like social media influencers, mm. you know, and they have the ability to reach lots of people. So when they say something that's, you know, factually incorrect for whatever reason, it propagates. It has, it has the ability to propagate. Yeah. yeah. And so we're talking about, you know, there is a void from official sources because they want to wait until they find the facts. Yeah, yeah the actual facts. Yeah. And so people are hungry, like you said, like fulfilling the void. We're hungry to fill the void, mm. and so any anything, any any scraps of information we take as fact, and you know, it's like if it were real life, and mm. you had all these people telling you this, it would be too much. But on Twitter, on Facebook, and stuff, just hearing it repeated again and again and again, like five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, yeah, is a long time. Well, you know, I think it's it's a combination of factors. I think you know, people love sh- sharing stuff. They love that. You know, when something like this happens, you share videos. People look at your videos, watch them. Sometimes they end up in the news. I was going out and asked people to use their clips, right? And someone tried to sell me their stuff. Really? Yeah. They was, they, Does I, that happen? Yeah. They they're like, money. oh, I've got, I've got, I've got a clip. I was like, I messaged them. I'm like, can I use your clip? Are you okay? Can I use your clip with for, with credit? And they were like, message me, and I messaged them, and they were like, uh, for a small fee, you can use it. I was like, damn. Like, really? And then I didn't reply. And then messaged me again saying, I've got another one of me running away. So like, I ain't going to pay you. <laughs> what, did, did my guy take take a, a selfie, like a snapshot of him just sprinting? Down. It's like, damn, really? Like, this is a possible terrorist incident. And now you're trying to sell me your footage. Oh, it's like, man, dude, like, that this is stuff mess- like this that makes me lose faith in humanity. Like, yeah, but the point I'm saying is, and I, I forgot my point, really. But <laughs> the point I'm saying, the point I'm saying, I'm gonna, the point I'm going to send you to. <laughs> I guess there is something to be said for mass panic. Mass panic, yeah, and mass hysteria. And this got me interested, you know, thinking about mass panic and mass hysteria. You know, it is something that has existed for a long time. Really? Yeah. So what actually is mass panic? Is it the same as mass hysteria? Well, yeah, very similar. I mean, in, there's de- different definitions in, in sociology and psychology. Mass hysteria can be known as collective hysteria, group hysteria. And if anyone is listening, I'm reading this on Wikipedia. So. <laughs> um, is a phenomenon that transmits collective illusions of threats. Yeah, so this is very relevant to what we're saying, whether real or imaginary, through a population in a society as a result of rumors and fear. So, I mean, that's very relevant to what we're saying. And, and a more medical definition for you scientists out there um, uh, is a term used to describe a spontaneous manifestation uh, of the same or of the same or hysterical physical symptoms by more than one person. So, you know, this is quite simply a case of mass hysteria. Sociologically, Mm. mass hysteria Mm. is in this ability to transmit behavior around sort of perceived threats, whether real or fake. Yeah. And medically, it's the transmission of, you know, real anxiety, sort of these psychosomatic illnesses, essentially. 
Are we saying that social media can be used as a vehicle for this? I think so. I think, you know, a lot of historical cases of mass hysteria have always been fueled by rumour um, and an expectation of something bad that's going to happen. For example, um, a really good example is uh, the Irish Fright of 19th, of sixteen eighty eight. What was the Irish Fright of sixteen eighty eight? Yeah, I read the first Irish Fight and I was like, ooh, this seems interesting. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I read no, it. It's the, Irish, the Irish Fright took place in England and parts of Wales in December 9th. The Irish Fright took place in England and Wales. Bah. The Irish Fright took place in England and parts of Wales. Wales. Oz, read it for him, please. <laughs> he's, 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 uh, I'm struggling with this. Oh no, I lost it. What lost happened? It. All right, let me give him give back. Oh fuck, lost it. The Irish Fright took part. <laughs> the Irish Fright took place in England and parts of Wales in December 1688 during the Glorious Revolution. False reports that the Irish soldiers were burning and massacring English towns prompted a mass panic in at least 19 countries with thousands of people arming themselves and preparing to resist non-existent groups of marauding Irishmen. Mm. 19 countries or 19 mm. counties? Counties. You know, from what we've gathered there is that in this, just one example, there's a lot of examples of this, you know, of misinformation, you know, literally thousands of people were getting ready to fight these non-existent, you know, uh, enemies so, you know, it's funny how these things can kind of just escalate. Like we were saying with this incident in Oxford Circus, it can just escalate beyond control, you know. So I guess it's down to like the internet bubble that we create, that social media mm. bubble that we mm. create. Because, yeah. you know, I guess with the Irish fright of 1688, you yeah. didn't have social media, but you had the people around you. And so yeah. you had, you know, uh, rumors and, um, you know, hearsay. But now you've got the illusion of having entire networks all around the world and what you have is actually cleverly curated things you're likely to follow people who are like you yeah things of your interest yeah. and they're interesting to you because they follow and they talk about topics that you're interested in mm -hmm. so what you're really doing is just creating a network that you would like that's with the illusion of i guess globality globality yeah, yeah no i understand where you're coming from i think the point you're making is you know we have all access to information in the world but we in social media we tend to surround ourselves with people with similar access to information to us or similar viewpoints and then we get caught up in this bubble so if all our friends are tweeting these videos and these tweets you know we're gonna instantaneously believe it and again that comes down to human nature because we believe yeah. and trust our friends and that's people the we thing know. that's also the thing isn't it because most of the people in this bubble and our network are people we mostly trust so mm -hmm. we are going to believe what comes out within those networks. See, the thing is with my social media network is as flippant and facetious as the rest of my life. Mm. And so <laughs> a lot of it was memes. Uh, honestly, a lot of it was memes. <laughs> like when news came out that it actually might be a fight mm -hmm. and you know, not gunshots or mm. electrical fault. Yeah. You had memes going around of like that guy uh, holding his chest going, when you find that face, when you find out it's the Mandem and not ISIS, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, oh yeah, life goes on. Well, the thing is, you know, we're talking about like the Irish fight from 1688. So, you know, these people had this irrational fear of something that wasn't actually existential threat. And, you know, it's a controversial opinion, but I think even with terrorism, you know, what is the real threat and how, and what is, is our reaction to it ever proportional? Because in reality, there's a lot more fucked up shit that can kill you just on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Super like, gonorrhea. 
super gonorrhea, right? So I mean, it's, it's like how. When we face uncertainty, our minds crave explanations. And also the combination of this along with the kind of stressors we face in the modern world mean that we no longer, when we hear stimulus such as a, like, a, like a popping sound, we don't think it's a balloon anymore. We think it's like a gunshot or we think it's some kind of attack. Um, and this along with the fact that we're digitally connected to each other that this combination is what propagates this mm. mass panic effect because we, yeah. we get a stimulus we are already on edge basically it's a summary of it and then as a result of um being digitally connected that that panic that we have we can easily spread it and i think this is what happened with the oxford street incident but there is also people are have done like research into like what causes mass panic in emergency situations so there's this one article i was reading yeah um where they It was like a computer game. So they had these avatars and these people had to navigate their avatars around each other and were told specifically to avoid um, bumping into each other, basically. And the, even the avatars, they naturally, they, they sort of mimicked their own human behavior when they were controlling the avatars. Yeah. yeah. So one example is they avoided each other by going on the right-hand side of each other to, to, to overtake. And apparently this is normal in sort of uh, European behavior. We use... we. When we pass somebody we use the right hand side i don't i don't actually know the data behind it or the, the the reason behind this but then they put them under a stressful situation and very quickly there was panic so what mm. kind of stressful situation are we talking so yeah they 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 then had to they simulated this evacuation and like some some of the participants were given information about the exit some weren't so this then because there was a mix of some people knowing that some people knew some information some people didn't that then put them under a certain amount of stress and panic and then they start to bump into each other they weren't able to sort of um not avoid each other and then when they get, got to a certain place like a dead end or an exit that also caused caused mm. them to panic because they weren't sure uh, about well, whether this, they were going the right way this is interesting you mentioned that because that was the one basically one of the only injuries of the night was a woman who was hurt in the stampede of leaving the station so, so in a way it's self fulfilling wasn't it in a way yeah these self-fulfilling properties and i guess mm. it comes back to what we're saying about terrorism it's not the actual act it's just the terror that mm. is yeah caused. yeah and it's also like for instance in the simulated situation even though that you know the participants obviously knew that there's nothing bad that was physically going to happen to them but it's like a points-based thing so that the as, as long as they avoided collisions with each other they wouldn't lose points mm. but because they were, they had to they had a time limit to escape mm. so they were then colliding with each other more so this was basically simulating that stressful um situation or yeah. environment mm. so i mean yeah so there is like some research and science behind it yeah but i think it's a very complex combination of being digitally connected craving information and being in a world where we're constantly under threat of under different threats in fact yeah yeah Well, so yeah. you're a journalist. Yeah. Do you think things are going to get better? I think uh, they will get better. I think people will learn more, become more skeptical of the news, which you've already seen. Um, but there is an incentive for a lot of 
publications to spread misinformation for financial gain. And Oz, you're a scientist. Do you think we're going to get smarter and more critical? I think so. I think the more stuff like this happens, people are going to become more critical thinkers and panic less. And that would overall, it will become better because we won't just, we won't have like a knee-jerk response to things like this as a population. So this has been quite a serious episode. I'm going to end it with a joke. Man walks into a bar. The bartender asks, why the long face? Man responds, I have crippling alcoholism and it's slowly driving my family apart. The more time I spend in here, the worse it gets, but I have to drink to numb the pain. Where's the horse? <laughs> I was waiting for the punchline. I was like, what? <laughs> Guys, yeah, alcoholism kills millions of people. Yeah, yeah but the long face joke is always about a horse. I've heard <laughs> this joke before. The horse walks into a bar. The man says, why the long face? Yes, that's the joke. Because <laughs> I'm a horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said it better. Anyways. <laughs> well, I'm Alex Lathridge. I've been joined by Oz and Sahel. Hi. Bye. Bye. And this has been Why Aren't You A Doctor Yet? Goodbye. So you might be thinking, oh my God, how do I hear more about this amazing podcast that combines humor, entertainment, pop culture, and cutting edge science? Or you might be thinking, oh wow, these guys are geniuses and I have questions only they can answer. Or you might be thinking, oh wow, these guys aren't even real doctors and I know way more about science than them and I want them to know this. So how do I let them know this as quickly as possible? So what you've got to do for us right now is leave us an iTunes review. I know you hear it everywhere, but it's super important because we want that sweet internet validation. Or you can send us your questions or comments by email. It's at whynotdoc at gmail.com. And if you want to stay up to date with what we're doing, you can go by social media. It's at whynotadoc on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Remember, iTunes review, follow us on social media, annoy us by email. Thanks. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.